We have an anchor that keeps the soul steady. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul's second letter to Timothy is packed with a lot of emotion. And Paul, as you well know, is coming to the close of his sojourn here on planet Earth. Death is imminent. And he understands that it will not be long before Nero would have his head and he would be in the presence of God. And so it's in light of that that Paul gives some very specific instructions to Timothy, encouraging him to do the work of an evangelist, to preach the Word. And then he reminds him that he's already being poured out as a drink offering and that the time of his departure is now at hand. And so really he is bidding farewell to Timothy and to other members of the body of Christ. But down in verse 16, Paul makes reference to some things that I think ought to encourage us. It's very easy for us as Christians to sometimes become discouraged and even despondent in the world in which we live. Sometimes things don't necessarily work out as we would like or plan. There are times when life literally throws us a curveball. And so we're trying to get our bearing and make sure that we are on course. And so Paul here talks about some problems that he had faced, but then there is a bright, shining light in the midst of those difficulties. The first thing that I want to call your attention to is we look at verses 16 through 18 in chapter 4. First and foremost, let's talk about the saints who forsook the Apostle Paul. Now Paul would make reference to Demas, one of his co-laborers in days gone by, that had forsaken him having loved this present world. Then he makes mention of a fellow by the name of Alexander the coppersmith that had done him a great deal of harm. Down in verse 16, it seems as if Paul is alluding to some possible preliminary trial. And so it's in light of that that he says, At my first defense, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. You can just hear the disappointment in Paul's speech here. Disappointed in people that should have done better, no doubt could have done better. It was a time of intrinsic need on his part. And yet, there are two things that really stand out. Number one, and to really just cut to the chase. Number one, they failed Paul. And that's a hard thing. To wrap your mind around the fact that there are times in life when people that we love and appreciate, sometimes individuals that we have tremendous confidence in, and they have maybe been there for us in days gone by, but in our hour of need, when we really needed them the most, they failed us. And that's happened. Maybe happened to a lot of us. 
I remember many years ago, a very close friend of mine, and I won't go into the details, but we were very, very young at the time. I was probably 20, 21 years of age. He was 19. And this young fellow, this friend of mine, we were both young at the time, but he was facing some very difficult circumstances in his life. And those of us that were his friends, those of us that spent time together, hung out together, traveled together, did a lot of things together, when he needed us the most, we failed him. That's all I can say. I wish that he were here today so that I could say, I let you down. But he'd been dead a long, long time. And over the years, I've thought about how, as his friends, in many respects, we failed him. We could have, we should have stood by him more than we did, but we didn't. And so Paul is talking about people that failed him. But not just failed him, they forsook him. Paul said, at my first defense, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I don't know if there is a worse feeling in the world than to know that you have been forsaken, forsaken by somebody that's supposed to be very close to you. There are a lot of people in the world today in the realm of marriage. They understand what it means to be forsaken by a husband or wife. Sometimes children are not what they ought to be as their parents grow older in life. And when their parents need them and they need that support, they fail them and sometimes, quite frankly, they fail them. They're not there for them. You remember what Jesus said? The Bible tells us that the Lord had said to the apostles prior to the cross, quoting Zechariah, that He said, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. A reference to the apostles. The Bible tells us that all of them, now typically we focus on the Apostle Peter because he denied that he knew the Lord. But they all, according to Matthew's account, they all forsook him and fled. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet of God, said on one occasion, you remember in Jeremiah 2, verse 32, talking about God, he said, a bride can sadly forget her ornaments, that is, her jewelry. But he said, my people have forgotten me days without number. Then he talked about those broken cisterns that hold no water. And really, the point was that the children of Israel had forsaken the Lord. Now that being said, let's just talk for a moment or two about the desire of Paul. There's no doubt he was disappointed. I would have been disappointed. We would have been disappointed, individually, collectively. But what was his desire? Now here's what Paul said, at my first defense, no man stood with me, all men forsook me. 
I pray God that it won't be laid to their charge. You know what Paul wanted on their behalf? Mercy. He wanted the Lord to extend to them mercy. Now back just a couple of verses earlier, he had talked about Alexander the coppersmith and how he had done him a great deal of harm. And he said, the Lord will repay him. And so it seems to me that there was a difference when it came to the heart of Alexander the coppersmith and these brethren that in a time of weakness failed him. And so his prayer was that the Lord would be merciful, that the Lord would not put that on their account. There's a passage found in James chapter 2 and about verse 13 that I think is very interesting in light of this text. James said in the long ago, mercy, or rather judgment is without mercy to him who has shown no mercy. What are you saying, James? James is saying, if we want mercy from God, then we need to be the kind of people that extend mercy to other members of the human family. Look, at best, we're all, we're all human beings that are not always what we ought to be. Sometimes we just don't measure up. And so our prayer, our hope is that people around us, other members of the body of Christ, would show us mercy and compassion maybe when we're not what we ought to be, when we don't measure up to that standard. And so Paul wanted mercy. And Paul knew something about the rich mercy of Almighty God, didn't he? Didn't he say in Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy? And so his prayer was that the Lord would not hold that against them. But now there's a second thought. First, the saints who failed the Apostle Paul. But secondly, the Savior who was faithful to the Apostle Paul. There are three things that stand out in verse 17 about the Lord. And we might say about His character. When you start looking at the Scriptures, there are a lot of things that come to mind about the character and nature of Almighty God. And here's Paul. He's been left out on an island by himself, so to speak. People have forsaken him. They've not been what they should have been. And so it's in light of that that Paul said, But the Lord stood with me. So number one, Paul is saying, even though he had been forsaken by his own brethren, he said, let me tell you what, the Lord stood with me. And I think that we can all rest assured that no matter what we face in this life, that there is a God in heaven who will stand with us. And we talk about allies and adversaries, and the devil is not an ally, he is an adversary. And there may be people that we trust and appreciate and love deeply. And hopefully and prayerfully, we can say that they are an ally, they are a friend in the faith, a family member in the faith. That when tough times come, they're going to stand by us. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But the Bible says the Lord will stand with us. When Joshua was told by Almighty God 
to arise and to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. You remember God said to Joshua in the long ago, first he said that Moses, my servant's dead. But then by way of assurance, to give his servant confidence that he would have the ability to get those people where they needed to be. God said, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And then he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now Paul talked about people that had forsaken him. By way of contrast, though, he said, the Lord stood with me. Now you remember the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 13 said on behalf of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There is nowhere that we will ever go in life to escape the presence of God. And as long as we're striving to walk in the light and live in harmony with His will, we have the assurance that He is standing right by our side. If anyone ever moves, it won't be the Lord, it'll be us. But the Lord said that He would stand with Joshua. Joshua went on to say, The Lord our God, the Lord your God, will be with you wherever you go. Now just think about that for a minute. The song that we have sung so often in life, Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go. Is that true or false? It's true, isn't it? Sometimes we need to be, re we need to be reminded of the presence of Almighty God. That we are literally abiding in the presence of God. We are under His sheltering wings, are we not? David, many, many years ago in a time of despair, talked about how refuge had fled him and how no man cared for his soul. Now, I don't believe that, I don't believe that was the case. But sometimes, maybe we speak by hyperbole. It might be the case that in his mind at that point in time, no one was there for him. But that's never the case, is it? I want to believe that there were people that loved David, cared for him, appreciated him. But the Bible tells us that God genuinely cares about us. David would later say, cast your burden on the Lord and he'll sustain you. There's a second thing. Number one, Paul said, the Lord stood with me. Number two, he said, the Lord strengthened me. That the message might be fully known, that the Gentiles might hear. So number one, Paul is saying, the Lord stood with me. Number two, he's saying, the Lord strengthened me. I know Paul said in writing to the church at Philippi, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But when we really find out something about the strength of the Lord is when we face tough times, isn't it? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul had received an abundance of revelations. And because of those revelations, there had been given to him what he called a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh, to buffet him, lest, as he said, I be exalted above measure. So Paul prayed to God 
three times that God would remove that thorn in the flesh. And do you remember what God said? My strength is made perfect in weakness. I really believe that what Paul needed to learn and what we have to learn is that when everything is said and done, the bottom line, our trust has to be in God. To trust Him without any hesitation. Didn't Solomon say, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not under your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and what then was the promise? The Lord promised to be with him, to guide him, to direct him, to direct his steps. So, Paul is saying, number one, the Lord stood with me, He strengthened me, and then thirdly, He saved me. Paul would make this statement, that he was delivered out of the mouth of a lion, of the lion. Now, one ancient philosopher, a Stoic, and they were the followers of Zeno. He believed and actually indicated that the lion was symbolic of Nero Caesar. Maybe so, maybe not. Now Paul did say in writing to the church at Corinth that he had fought with beasts at Ephesus. So was the lion he's referencing here a literal lion? I know Daniel was thrown into a, a lion's den. And it was the Lord that shut the lion's mouths and delivered him. Or was it Nero Caesar, who was a tyrant, bloodthirsty ruler, a man that would ultimately have Paul's head on a platter? So maybe the reference was to Nero Caesar. But at least at this point in time, Paul is saying, look, the Lord saved me. Now there's a third point I want to share with you. We talk about the saints who forsook the Apostle Paul or failed the Apostle Paul. The Savior who was faithful to the Apostle Paul. And then thirdly, the secure future of the Apostle Paul. Who or what made it possible for Paul in what we would say to be dire circumstances, what was it that gave him a ray of sunshine at the end of the rainbow? Well, look at verse 18. And listen now to what Paul says in verse 18. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So number one, Paul makes reference to his deliverance by the Lord. Paul faced a lot of persecution in his lifetime. You remember when the Lord called him on the road to Damascus and then gave very specific instructions to Ananias to go and to seek out Saul of Tarsus. He would be a man who was praying. Initially, Ananias was reluctant because of the reputation of Saul and no doubt 
We can understand why. He had been given letters from the high priest to go to Damascus and bind those who were followers of the way. Paul would later say when the saints were put to death, he said, look, I consented. I lended my voice to them. So Ananias was reluctant. But God said, I want you to go your way. He is a chosen vessel of mine. Then he said, I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul suffered immensely in this life. In chapter 3, he talks about his persecutions and afflictions at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. He said, what persecutions I I endured, and the Lord delivered me out of them all. He went on to say, all that will live God in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So persecution was not something that was new to the life of Paul. He was the object of persecution, and I would add to that, pain. I wonder what Paul looked like, physically speaking. We have no way of knowing his physical characteristics. But in my mind... I want to believe that Paul would have been recognizable by the visible marks on his body. The Bible tells us that Paul was stoned, beaten with whips. I mean, this guy, he faced a lot of trouble and trial in life. A lot of pain inflicted on his body. He would say to the saints in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 6, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Singing a minute ago, on my right hand, at, at least three times, I've had stitches. Once on this knuckle, once on this knuckle, Stitches on this finger, had stitches on this hand, visible scars. I believe Paul had visible scars, don't you? And so here is Paul talking about his deliverance. He said, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. There are a lot of folks after him. Judaizing teachers couldn't stand him did everything that they could to disrupt his work in the kingdom of God. And then he talks first about his deliverance by the Lord, but then secondly, his destiny with the Lord. Now, listen again to what he said. I want you to just look at this. You might want to underline it in your Bible. He said, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work, now note the word, and preserve me. For his heavenly kingdom. God has a kingdom on earth, does he not? We're members of the kingdom of God, but he also has a heavenly kingdom. God has family on earth and in heaven. Read Ephesians 3. But that being said, Paul is not saying here that that the Lord was going to ultimately deliver him from death. Death would come. And it would come shortly. Again, going back to verse 6, he said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. Paul knew, look, death's coming. No question about that. 
But he said, the Lord is going to deliver me from death through death. Well, what do I mean by that? Death is a corridor that leads to a better place, doesn't it? I mean, what's Christianity all, what's Christianity all about when it's all said and done? Why are we here today? Why do we, give our, why do we give our life, individually speaking, why do we give our lives to the Lord? Because, number one, God's love and amazing grace and we want to be His children. But also because we want all those spiritual blessings which ultimately culminate in heaven. So you think about Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 saying, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Philippians chapter 1, Paul would say, For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To depart and be with Christ, Paul again acknowledges, is far better. Paul knows, look, there's a better place waiting. In verse 8 he said, There is later for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give not to just me, but to all who've loved His appearing. So Paul is thinking about the ultimate hope of a Christian. Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith. What's the aim of the Christian faith? The salvation of your souls. He just talked about in that context that based upon the resurrection of Jesus, we have a living hope. That living hope gives us an inheritance. That inheritance will provide us with an incorruptible, immortal place. And Peter said it's reserved in heaven for you. That's the ultimate goal of a Christian, isn't it? So Paul's saying, look, the Lord's going to preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. Now, you know, we live in a day and time when sometimes people are forgotten. When there are people that, sadly, there are occasions when they fall through the cracks and they're forgotten about by people. There are people in our world today that feel as if they're nothing more than a number or that they are insignificant. That who would even care about them? Well, that's not the case with God, is it? And what Paul is saying, and I think what we ought to take from this is, look, the Lord's not going to forget any of His people. No matter where we are in life, the Lord will be with us, and He will preserve us for that heavenly home that we have that awaits us. So to close today and to just say, look, when it's all said and done, the Lord, the Lord will stand with you. He'll stand with me. He'll stand with His people until time is no more. So maybe you're here today. You're not a Christian. You don't know anything about all those great blessings that we have in Christ, those spiritual blessings that Paul alludes to in Ephesians 1. One of the most important fundamental blessings that we have is redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. And how we contact or appropriate those blessings is through an obedient faith. Our faith is in Almighty God. Our trust is in Him.
Without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to Him. We are willing to repent, to turn from the ways of the world, as Saul of Tarsus did, to confess His name before others, and then to be immersed in water so that, as Paul said, we can enjoy the washing away of our sins. God puts us in the church. The church is numbered among the saved. Matter of fact, the church is the saved. Ephesians 5.23, the Bible says that Jesus is the Savior of the body. So if we're in Christ, no matter what happens in the world around us, all is well with us, isn't it? Life's good. So if you're here today and you haven't obeyed the gospel, I encourage you to come to Christ. If you're here, and maybe your life's not what it ought to be, and you need to come home to a loving God who will abundantly pardon. Listen to what, listen to what John said. John said, if we confess our sins, He is faithful. God is faithful, isn't He? He is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, A-L-L, all unrighteousness. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love